Hello, everyone. My name is Tony Sorcy, and uh, I want to thank you all for joining us here on Good Friday. Tonight is a very somber occasion. We've gathered here tonight with heavy hearts to celebrate. Some of us with hands raised and smiles on our faces. The brutal murder of a good man. An innocent man. An extraordinary man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. But in thinking about the reason we are here on Good Friday and in thinking about the cross, the central symbol which with we are gathered around tonight, I guess I have to ask, What is there to celebrate? Just what exactly is it that I am supposed to be celebrating? An innocent man got murdered. Brutally butchered, executed on a cross. Have any of you ever wondered how bizarre it is that we gather around to sing songs about a man who was murdered on a cross? Just a moment ago, we all sang, thank you for the cross. Trust me, at the time when Christ was crucified, there wasn't anyone who was thankful for a cross. No one. The cross was a torture device. It was an act of terror. The cross was designed in order to extract the maximum amount of pain and suffering from an individual and to drag their death out as long as possible. Those who suffered on the cross suffered every form and kind of abuse. Psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. The cross was just barbaric, twisted. The cross was so absolutely brutal and agonizingly painful that a whole new word had to be invented in order to describe its agony. It's this word, excruciate. And it literally means out of the cross. The ancient historian Josephus, who was alive at the time of Christ, said of crucifixion that it was the most wretched of deaths. The great Roman politician and philosopher Cicero, also alive at the time of Christ, said of crucifixion that it was a most cruel and disgusting punishment. Further, he said, because crucifixion was so disgusting and disturbing and barbaric that decent people shouldn't even think of it, they shouldn't even talk about it. And really, it was the shame associated with the cross that caused even the early Christians to avoid using it as their symbol. But nowadays, you see crosses everywhere. And it seems to me That we have lost the shame and the horror associated with the cross. Hebrews 12.2 says that Christ endured the cross despising the shame. The cross was absolutely the most shameful and horrendous way to suffer and die. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians and at the time of Christ it was perfected by the Romans. And crucifixion was almost always preceded by flogging or scourging. And the Gospels tell us that this was true in Jesus' case 
The Roman soldiers who flogged Jesus would have used something referred to as a cat of nine tails, which was a whip of long braided leather straps. And at the end of these straps were heavy metal balls and sharp pieces of bone and metal fashioned into hooks. The whip was designed to tear apart the flesh as the heavy metal balls would soften and bruise and tenderize the flesh, eventually causing contusions. And the bone and the metal hooks were designed to dig into the victim, and when it was ripped away, it would tear apart skin, tendons, muscle. Flogging usually lasted 39 lashes. And when the soldiers were finished, it was not uncommon at all to be able to see parts of the spine, veins and muscles, rib bones and bowels would be exposed as his flesh hang off of his body like ribbons. This happened to Jesus. The amount of blood lost during this time would have been so extreme that Jesus literally would have been laying in a pool of his own blood. With his body most likely going into shock as his heart raced to try to catch up and replace the blood that wasn't there. And Jesus, who hasn't even gone to the cross yet, at this point would have already been in critical condition. The prophet Isaiah, predicting the results of Jesus' flogging, wrote this. Many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Flogging was enough to kill most men. After the flogging, the Gospels tell us that the whole battalion of Roman soldiers, anywhere from 125 to 200 soldiers, all gathered around Jesus. And in the most inhumane, sadistic behavior, they began to mock and humiliate him. In front of all these soldiers, they stripped him naked and dressed him up as a king. They put a robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and they shoved it on top of his head. They put a reed in his hand as if it was a scepter. They all gathered around and mockingly hailed him as a king, king of the Jews. They blindfolded him. They began to spit on him and slap him. Scripture also tells us that his, his beard was ripped out from his face. They took the reed out of his hand and began to strike him over the head with it. All these soldiers standing around him looking at his naked, beaten, shredded, bloody body, dressed up like a king. They were mocking him. They were laughing at him. The shame in that moment, the humiliation. And then came the real horror, crucifixion. Crucifixion was designed and intended to be a slow, agonizing, painful death by asphyxiation. When they got to the crucifixion site, the cross would have been laying down on the ground. And after they laid Jesus on top of the cross, they then nailed his hands to the horizontal portion by driving big, 
rigid, five to seven inch spikes, right through all the flesh and the nerves, where the two bones in your forearm meet your wrist. And then they took his feet and placed one on top of another, and they pushed it down, and then they drove a single spike right through the top of both of his feet. After literally nailing Jesus to the cross, they then raised the cross and dropped it into a deep hole in the ground. And the sudden impact of dropping the cross into the ground would have so violently jarred his body that it would have torn all the skin and muscle around the spikes as they settled up against the bone. Scripture also tells us that a number of his joints were dislocated. Jesus would have been considered crucified at this point. With his arms stretched out and the full weight of his body hanging by two spikes through his wrists, the weight of his body put so much stress on the muscles and the chest and the diaphragm and the lungs would have been forced into an inhale position. He wouldn't have been able to breathe. And the only way for him to relieve the stress and the weight just to breathe would have been able for him, would have been to push up on a single spike that was driven through the tops of his feet. Pinned to the cross, nowhere to go, fighting just to catch a breath. The constant, incessant pain of the weight of your body hanging by spikes through your wrists, arms disjointed, the pain of pushing up on a spike pounded through your feet as his open, exposed, traumatized back rubbed up and down an old, splintered, wooden cross over and over. Scripture tells us that this went on for hours. And on top of all the physical pain was the humiliation and the shame of being crucified in public where everyone could see. Crucifixion was a very public thing. If this was done today, it would be done outside of the mall in the parking lot where everyone could see. Crucifixion was meant to publicly disgrace, shame, and humiliate you and your family as crowds of people gather around to see you hang naked on a cross, suffering, struggling. And from the Gospels, we see that Jesus at this point is surrounded by a large crowd getting mocked at and laughed at by those who hated him, by those who wanted him dead. The soldiers continued in their mocking and others who were just passing by mocked Jesus, criticized him, scoffed at him, threw his words back in his face, shaking their heads in disgust. Crowds of people gathered around to mock and jeer. And while others just stood there and watched as the Son of God died. Where in the midst of all that shame do we find reason to celebrate? The prophet Isaiah foretelling about what happened on that day writes, He was despised and rejected by men. We esteemed him not. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And what Isaiah is saying here is if you were there on that day, 
witnessing that horrible scene, you wouldn't have esteemed, you wouldn't have esteemed Christ. You wouldn't have been celebrating. You wouldn't have regarded him as anyone special at all. Seeing him suffer on the cross, you would have thought that he was just another despicable man being judged by God, smitten and afflicted by God, getting what he deserved because of his own sin. What the world didn't know at that time was that on that cross, Christ was bearing what we deserved because of our sin. As Isaiah also writes, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Despised. Rejected. Grieved. Smitten. Stricken. Afflicted. Wounded. Crushed chastised, not for his own sin, but for our transgressions, our iniquities, our rebellion, our turning away, our sin. It was our sin that put him there. Your sin. My sin. You were a voice in that mocking crowd. See yourself in those soldiers. You drove those spikes. Hang your head. Beat your chest. We killed God. You, me, all of us. And reflecting on his own guilt, a Scottish hymn writer in the early 19th century wrote this. T'was I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Of all that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. Around the cross, the crowd I see, mocking the sufferer's groan. Yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. Somewhere in between the shame of the cross and the celebration of a cross is a sinner so overwhelmed and broken by the thought that their own sin nailed Christ to that cross. Because before we can even begin to see the cross as something done for us, we need to see the cross as something done by us. And in that same moment, there is a sinner so absolutely overwhelmed by the depth and the richness of the great love of God that he would do that for them. And as to this love 
the testimony of the scriptures are so overwhelmingly clear about what Christ accomplished on this day some 2,000 years ago. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ephesians 1 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Titus 2 13 and 14 our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And now we start to see, in the midst of the horror, in the midst of the shame, in the midst of the brutality of the cross, a reason to celebrate. A loving God who looked down on a guilty world and instead of abandoning us to our fate and leaving us in a hopeless state of sin and despair, he sent his best. He sent his son to rescue a whole world filled with people so undeserving of his love. And for no benefit at all to himself, but for our sake, Eternal Son of God on the cross willingly gave up his life. And on that cross, Christ literally became sin. He became the worst of what we are as men. Liars, thieves, gossips, adulterers, greedy, idolaters, selfish, addicts, fornicators, prideful, Sexually immoral, self-righteous. He became the worst of what we are. And in that moment, Christ so thoroughly took upon himself the punishment for our sin and all of its shame and horror as God poured out his wrath towards sin on Christ as our substitute. And in so doing, he took our sin. And in return, by faith, embracing and trusting in what he did there, we receive his perfect, spotless righteousness. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. The sinless man for sinful men. The righteous for the unrighteous. The shepherd for the wandering sheep. The king for the rebellious subjects. God for man. So that we can have sins forgiven. Our relationship with God restored. A confident, right standing before a holy God. And eternal life. And for those of us in here with a broken heart over our sin and full confidence in the finished work of Christ. That's why we celebrate. 
That's why we lift our voices. That's why we raise our hands. That's why we cry out, thank you. You got rescued, sinner. Rescued. Through the shame of the cross, Christ purchased for us our salvation. And it took nothing short of the infinitely valuable, precious, spotless, sinless blood of God's own son for the cross to go from something so horrible and shameful to something that is to be celebrated. And as the band comes up, and we get ready to remember the cross together by participating in communion. I want to encourage you all just to take a moment and get real with God. Get real. Get real transparent. Pour your heart out. See your sin. Have a sorrow over it. Confess it. And then run to the cross and see the love of God. See the mercy of God. See the grace of God. Embrace it. Tell him thank you. And celebrate it because you got rescued.